Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast here on Thursday, January 21st. J.C. Sherbert here with you. All things Gamecocks here on this podcast, folks, and had some news today. And we're going to just break through the news headlines. Also have some mailbag questions that you guys sent in very nicely after yesterday. There was no mailbag. So uh, I actually checked it before we got on here so we'd have enough. But anyway, appreciate all you guys uh, emailing, doing whatever, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please go follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter. Also, inside the Gamecocks on Instagram, I've noticed – We've gotten some Instagram followers on the Inside the Gamecocks account. I don't know if that's you guys or just people randomly following it, but uh, certainly appreciate that. The, the podcast gives you content on Twitter, Instagram a little bit, uh, and then right here on the podcast almost every day, most days, I would say. Uh, and it's just me most of the time. So it was. it's a good uh, monologue-type show if you like that, if you like the uh, – you know, in the new in the news talk realm, there's a lot of like mono folks that come out and just sort of give a monologue every day and answer questions. And, and a lot of those take callers, but you know, this is kind of that style of show if you like it. Shaq Wilson uh, yesterday became official. He is hired as an analyst. Uh, we're going to get to that. Derek Moore. Uh, there's a BOT meeting tomorrow uh, to approve uh, the final two on-the-field coaches, and maybe some more. Uh, Offensive line coach is Greg Adkins. He comes to South Carolina from Marshall University, where they had pretty good offensive lines the last few years. He was at Oklahoma State uh, and also at Tennessee back in the early 2000s under Fulmer and Doug Marone, or Maroney. I think it's Marone. Uh, The former coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who is now the offensive line coach under Nick Saban at Alabama, uh, offensive line guru, great track record. This guy coached Anthony Munoz, uh, has coached some really great players. Uh, I know that uh, one of the criticisms out there was, was his time at Oklahoma State where, you know, Mike Gundy let him go after two years, and it was allegedly because of recruiting. I I, I don't know, you know, because the story goes like this. He had three guys, two guys committed – and they all flipped to Texas and Texas A&M, but they were all Texas kids. That's not a fireable offense. That's reality of life if you're at Oklahoma State. Now, if you didn't have backup plans ready to roll and, and things like that, then, then maybe that's recruiting failure. But, you know, to me, recruiting failure is when you got a kid that's, you know, right in your area that would love to come to your school and you let him go someplace else and he ends up being really good and then you suck at that position – that's recruiting failure to me. I, I don't think there's any kind of shame in getting in some of these battles with, you know, some of these programs that that sign high-level guys because eventually you're going to pick off two or three. Hopefully they're the right ones because some of these schools recruit a lot of highly rated guys that can't play dead in a movie. So you got to get the right ones, but I don't think there's any shame in getting in the battles. And, and this guy had them committed. He's been a recruiting coordinator at most of his stops. So, you know, and there are coaches out there that, you know, a lot of them coach line, 
or, or their defensive core or coordinator or something like that. And they're not really excited about the recruiting game. You know, they're, they're guys that come in and coach and then they have other assistants that help them get players, but they're, they're the best player development guys you're going to find. Okay. Uh, and there, there are a lot of guys like that out there. Right. And uh, Craig Kuligowski from Missouri was a guy like that. He could find players. He could spot players. Uh, you put him on the road to recruit for Alabama, though, and he's not as good as some of those other coaches down there. And so there are guys like that. Greg Atkins is not that guy. Uh, because you to be a recruiting coordinator, you have to have knowledge and enthusiasm for recruiting. Uh, and he had that at Tennessee, where he's a really good recruiter there. I mean, they had Michael Orr. But from the blind side, and th- this was an interesting story. This is the first uh, press conference I ever covered in my recruiting career uh, for Rivals.com. It was uh, January of 2005. Myself, my friend Greg Lackey, uh, and my friend Chris Childers, who is now on Sirius XM Radio. You can hear him daily. Uh, we had all just started, and we all got in the car, drove from Nashville to Memphis to cover the Michael Orr presser. Uh, and it was, it was down to Tennessee and Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze was the coach for Michael Orr, a high school coach at the time. And he was allegedly going to go to Tennessee. Uh, Hugh Freeze was, uh, with Orr and then Ole Miss ended up getting him. Ole Miss was coached by Ed Orgeron at the time and they had gone through a coaching change actually. Uh, of course, Michael Orr's adopted family they were all Ole Miss people and, you kind of see the writing on the wall, but Greg Atkins got them and Tennessee had, had them right there, you know, and this was one of the most epic. I mean, they wrote a movie. They wrote a movie about his life, but they documented the recruiting battle uh, in a Hollywood blockbuster with Sandy Bullock. So um, I, I, I just don't buy the whatever happened in Stillwater means Greg Atkins isn't a great recruiter. He was also the recruiting coordinator under Doc Holliday, pretty good recruiter himself. Uh, at Marshall University, uh, and you know it's it's Marshall's one of those places you cast a wide net and you try to it's like you know shrimping or panning for gold or whatever you want to do where you kind of sift through. You know they take the guys that sometimes are really good but can't get in academically. Uh, they also have to go scout South Florida and because there's not a lot of players in West Virginia. And those that are in West Virginia either go out of state to the big boys or they go to West Virginia. So you got to kind of piece it together at Marshall and, uh, you know, heading up that operation up there uh, for Doc Holliday. I think that speaks volumes. So Greg Atkins, new offensive line coach. I, you know, when you look at it, I think he inherits the best situation of any of these assistant coaches that Beamer's hired or retained. Uh, you look at it, South Carolina basically has five offensive line starters returning. You know, you, you have, uh, you know, uh, excuse me. Let me think. Uh, I need to jot this down. Brain freeze. Brain freeze. See, I talked all that crap about this being a solo show and all that, and then I'm like, oh, oh, I really need a co-host. Uh, so you got Dylan Wanham coming back, and and look, this is obviously any of these guys could get in the portal at any time. That's the reality we're living in at every school. So for right now, you know, don't come back in a week if. And I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if two of these guys transfer out and be like, you said this, that was a week ago. Things change. Uh, right tackle, Dylan Wanham. You get him back. Jovan Gwynn is back. 
Eric Douglas, who had a fantastic year at center, is back. You lose to Darius Hutcherson, but oh, 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 oh. Jordan Rhodes, if they don't keep him on defense, which I don't think they will, uh, that's another starter because in 2019, he was a starter. Uh, and then you got Ja'Kai Moore over there. Uh, you also got Jalen Nichols and Vershawn Lee. So you're really at one, two, three, four, five, six. You got seven guys that have started at least one game. Uh, the Vershawn Lee offensive line class, you do have Lee, but then you also have a Trey Jones, who they love. Uh, Tyshawn Wanamaker, who's a massive human being uh, and, and on the interior. And then you're bringing in John Darius Morgan, who's another big road grader, uh, along with uh, Jordan is it Jordan White, Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis, uh, who's also from Jordan Road School. Uh, and then there's other guys that are in the mix. You know, we don't know. If, I don't know if Mark Fox came back or not. I have to. I'd ask somebody about that. But you know, Greg Atkins inherits. Oh, and I. Foo, 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 I forgot about Jazz and Turnitine. Jazz Turnitine is back. So all four tackles are back. You do replace a great player in Sedarius Hutcherson, but, you know, you got a Jordan Rhodes that can step in. And, and, and this is where I think, you know, people always ask, do you upgrade, do you do this or this? And, and I'll get to – I have a comparison question uh, in the mailbag today. Uh, basically what I've been told from my friends in coaching, some of whom are excellent offensive line coaches – is that Atkins is probably going to give you a little more in terms of uh, the on-field stuff. He's going to maximize maybe a little bit better than Wolford and have, you know, performance-wise. But that, you know, Wolford's a better evaluator of talent. Uh, and I do think that's pretty clear when you look at the individuals and sort of Wolford's plan to go and get athletic guys. I, In my opinion, I think that's smart. And I think it's something Atkins should keep on doing. Uh, but, but those differences are very minimal. Um, so I can't really say if Carolina upgraded or not because they kind of, you know, they may get a lot better on the O-line. Uh, not that they were bad. I think some people out there expect miracles on the offensive line, and that's across the SEC. Gamecock fans are not the only ones that are guilty of this. But, uh, you know, I, I think that w- when you look at it, you know, you may be a little bit better you know, maybe it's because of Atkins. Maybe it's because some of these guys are just getting older. And the older you are on the offensive line, the better you play. But, you know, we'll see down the road, you know, about his evals and stuff like that. You have some time because you do have, uh, like I said, a Vershawn Lee, a Trey Jones. A Mark Fox is coming back, hopefully, or, or, has, or has already come. I got to check on him again, by the way. Wanamaker is a big, huge guy, stud. Uh, John Darius Morgan's another big guy like Wanamaker. And so you do have some ball players, you know, that, that are there for Greg Atkins to coach up and, and that's good. So I'll put it that way about, uh, Atkins and all those guys, uh, and, and the players he is inheriting and away you go. So he, you know, Beamer completes his staff. That's the 10th on field hire. Uh, the staff, the on-field staff. I, I think there's some more off-the-field staff hires that will be made, although that's almost complete. I think you'll see a few more analysts, and obviously they got to get a director of recruiting in there. But um, it's almost complete. So I, I think when you judge it, it it's good to have, and, and people are going to sit there and, and 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 talk about. And I haven't pushed this no, you know, SEC retread narrative. I think a lot of the fans have. 
Uh, I think it's good to have a mix of, of veterans and young guys. I mean, Atkins is only 52. It's not like he's, you know, older than dirt or anything. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's good to have a grizzled veteran come in there. They get, he, Atkins reminds me a lot of Robbie Caldwell, by the way, who's at Clemson now, who was at Vanderbilt and Furman and NC State, who Carolina tried to hire. Uh, that's who he kind of reminds me of as a coach and kind of track record uh, and all that. But, you know, this is a guy that, uh, you know, has SEC experience and people think it's bad, but he's kind of a guy that hasn't been in the SEC for a while uh, and will be coming back. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's when you're talking about your line coaches, you need guys that kind of have experience, uh, not necessarily uh, at the highest level. They they either need to have experience or they need to be like, rising stars like Travian Robertson is at Georgia state where they've coached four or five D linemen or D line units. And they're all good. You know, that, that does, your film doesn't lie, so to speak. So um, I, I think, I think he and Jimmy Lindsay both are, are good hires on the lines of scrimmage. Those are critical spots. Uh, and so Greg Atkins coming from Marshall university. Now, Derek Moore, uh, there was a press release today. It became official yesterday uh, look, I, I'll say this people sometimes, and look, when I say people do this, it's not everybody. It's a vocal minority of, of, of mostly miserable people, in my opinion, on the message boards that, that say, ah, you know, every hire is met by sunshine and rainbows or whatever by me. And that's not true. That, that's not true. First and foremost, you need to be fair. Okay. And so what you need to do is say, here's the track record. Here's what they've done. These are the facts. And then according to my contacts and, and, and sources and my own an analysis, this is why they were hired. This is my job to tell you why they were hired. You're not going to tell someone this is why they were hired because they were, you know, 90th in total offense at Temple one year. Obviously, if it was about that, those numbers, you're not going to get hired. Um, you know, it, my job is to tell you why, uh, and then see how they do when they get there and then judge them off that. that. That's the bottom line that people don't understand. I'm not Merlin with a crystal ball. I have a crystal ball for recruits with page, but it's not an actual crystal ball. It's not magic. Uh, and, and I think you can talk to coaches. You can talk to analysts. You can talk to media members. You can talk to players. You can talk to administrators from coast to coast to coast. And they will all tell you it's a crapshoot. You know, nobody thought Tom Herman was a bad hire. He's already been fired. Nobody thought Jim Harbaugh was a bad hire. He had to restructure his deal this year, right? Nobody thought Scott Frost was a hire. They were shocked he didn't go to Florida. You see what Nebraska's doing. Uh, you know, you, you look around Chip Kelly at UCLA, at, at least the expectation was UCLA would be as good as they were under Jim Mora, right? Wrong. It's been a disaster. And I think they spent $5.4 million on meals last year out there. Go look that story up. It's funny. Uh, so, so there's no, you know, there's no reason – you know, or, or, or credible way to trash or praise a hire. You know, you, you have to just say this is why they were hired. That's generally going to be positive because why were they hired otherwise? 
It doesn't make any sense. Let's go get a bad coach. Okay, good. Um, you know, so, so that's the case. And then judge them once, once they do their job. I mean, you know, you can't, I don't think prejudging someone in any situation uh, is good. Now head coaching hires, you know, like, okay, Arizona hired Jed fish to, to replace Kevin someone. And Jed fish to me during his career has been pretty unremarkable uh, as an offensive play caller, as a head coach. And he's buddies with the Arizona AD. They've known each other for a while. Those are the types of hires that that, that raise a red flag for me. You know, uh, the Shane Beamer hire and, and the hires that come out of nowhere, the ones where you're like, there is no resume to really look at and all that. Uh, those are the ones that you're kind of like, you know, those are the ones that end up working out a lot of the time. Uh, you know, and then there's all kinds of things in between. If you'd have told me that Ed Orgeron would still be coaching LSU and have a national championship and Tom Herman would be fired from Texas already, because remember, LSU almost hired Herman and then he turned them down to go to Texas, I'd have said you were crazy. So so you just don't know. So, so anyway, that, that's my take on, you know, what you – some the, the fellowship of the miserable out there accuses me of sometimes, which is, you know, being overly positive about hires. That's not true. That's not true. All I'm saying is it makes sense, and it does. And none of these are like big, risky hires that Shane Beamer's made, all right? One could argue that hiring someone that has not been a head coach or a coordinator is a risky hire, so maybe Ray Tanner did take some risk, and I think he took some risk hiring Will Muschamp too, and I appreciate that. Because you can get a suit in here tomorrow that's not going to make a risky hire, and then you're floundering in mediocrity. You look up, and it's mediocre across the board. Um, so anyway, that's why I say what I say about hires. That said, Derek Moore, I will completely sunshine pump this hire. If Carolina goes 0-12 next year, you're going to still hear me say South Carolina just hired the Nick Saban of life coaches in college football. The Nick Saban of executive directors of player development and character. The, the Knicks, I mean, he, he, there's nobody better you can hire. 20 years at Georgia Tech. Roots in Atlanta. Looking for a new challenge. Hit it off with Shane Beamer from the first time they talked about the job. Had a desire to come to South Carolina dating back 10 years. And I know that because I know him. I know Derek. And, you know, spiritually, and I think spirituality is different than religion. So those of you that aren't, you know, Christian of the Christian faith, or you, you don't believe in God, or that's fine that you do you. I'm not judging you for that at all. Um, but you do know there is spirituality as human beings, regardless of, you know, what you believe religion wise. And I think there's a spiritual need in just about anything you do. Uh, you know, spirituality makes you come to life. I don't care if you're running a bakery or, uh, you know, you're trading stocks. You know, you get zen on that thing, you're going to probably be successful because you're just in tune with your inner self. I think that breeds success. So spiritually, you know, that's going to help this downtrodden football program that has better players than people think that has been lining up with absolutely no faith or confidence. 
in the team, not the individuals, because there's plenty of confident individual guys. As we all see, we see them when they get to the NFL. They play. You're like, where did that come from? <laughs> None of us in Columbia saw it. So I think it helps that. And I think this team needs that. And you're never going to hear me say anything bad about this hire because I think it's an absolute slam dunk. And I think when you talk about filling needs, which you, you, you do in football, whenever you're hiring coaches or, or revamping your roster or doing off field, so it's all about needs. What do you need? Well, this guy and a guy like Luke Day running the strength program, this is exactly what South Carolina needs right now. And you could talk to every staff member in that building, and you could talk to all the former staff members of that building, and they will all tell you the exact same thing. I heard a guy the other day on, on the message board said, I'm tired of talk. I've heard talk the last four or five years just win. In response to Derek Moore, I'm like, you don't get it. Number one, it's not about what you want. It's about what do the players need so they can win. You know, uh, some people got on some Tennessee players today because after Pruitt left, the, the response was the fans don't care about us. All they care about is winning. They don't care about our future. And that's that. That's sort of a false narrative that's out there uh, that's, you know, been promoted by, I guess, certain media members that cover college football and, you know, certain people that talk to the kids and stuff, but it's out there. And this generation, you know, they, they, they need to know that people care. They don't need to be coddled. I think that's the generation that came before them. No offense to you millennials out there. I'm not painting you with a broad brush. brush. I'm just saying in general. You know, people say millennial, they use millennial as a term for everybody that's young. And that's, you know, we're past the millennials now. We're, we're at the other, other end of the spectrum. And these guys, the Gen Z guys and gals, are problem solvers. They're highly intelligent because they've grown up with phones in their hands, walk with encyclopedias. It's like, it's like if you were a kid walking around with the entire Encyclopedia Britannica uh, on you in your backpack. Uh, every, you know, when, when, when we were all growing up, I mean, I'm 44, you know, uh, and there was a friend of mine in high school that memorized the encyclopedia. Um, also had a blue jean jacket and drove a pacer and took the daggum wooden speakers out of the, the den, you know, and hooked them up in the back of his car and would go out in the parking lot every morning and crank up the Motley crew. Smiley Crew is probably about six years, probably six years too late from being really cool with that. But anyway, he memorized the encyclopedia. And, you know, so, but these kids have it on their phone. It's right there on their phone. They're connected. So they don't have a lot of tolerance for BS. Um, they just want to know, do you care? How are we going to do this? And let's go. And, and, and I think, you know, when you have folks that can reach them spiritually and, and make it make sense to them, that, that matters. Uh, I also think that, you know, that some of this fans don't care about us or, you know, former coaches, all they care about is winning. Uh, I think if you kind of accept that and, and understand that and tone down some of the rhetoric, that you're going to win because these guys aren't just going to shut down. You know, and I talk about how social media impacts things because players don't just shut it off and some – you know, people that pretend to be Gamecock fans or who are actually idiots, they just happen to pull for Carolina. 
tweet things at players on social media, like, like garbage, like trash, you know, like, like trashy human beings, like you weren't raised right and you weren't. Every single one of you that has tweeted some of the horrible borderline racist stuff at players. Um, yeah, you, you, you weren't – I blame your parents, honestly. Or you have something wrong with you in the head. Or you're just too stupid to realize that real people are sitting behind a screen or on a phone or whatever. I ran over about that. Uh, but that all impacts people. So, so to say something like, tired of talk – you know, uh, want to win. And, and that's not garbage or trash thinking. Okay. Just to be clear, this poster as a fan, probably he's right. You know, want to get back to winning, but number one, Derek Moore wasn't here for the last four years. Number two, Derek Moore's job, uh, in to sit there and, and, and get fans fired up about the case. He's talking to the team. And the team needs that. And the team's not going to win. It's like uh, any given Sunday. Either we heal as a team or we will lose. And that's what has to happen at South Carolina. So, uh, anyway, I, that whole rant about social media and stuff uh, where I called it garbage, that's that's directed towards the people that tweet mean and racist and stupid stuff at players all the time or a lot of the time, especially when things don't go their way. Uh, this person who put this on those board, I'm not ranting at him. I'm just giving you an example of, okay, so yeah, everybody wants to win, but you, you got to almost take it a step further these days. Uh, not talking about being nice all the time and sunshine and rainbows, but you know, you, you got to act like you care uh, about more than just the final score. Uh, and then when you do that, and most successful programs in college football do do this, uh, the final score is going to take care of itself in my opinion. So you're never going to hear me not hype the Derek Moore hire. Board of Trustees meeting tomorrow to approve the contracts for Atkins and Jimmy Lindsey, the defensive line coach. Uh, game got basketball coming up. Looking at the schedule down the road, it's uh, once again, because of all the, the canceled games, it's going to have to be a one-game-at-a-time thing for the Gamecocks to get it. I don't know if they're going to adjust the net ranking qualification or not because – a lot of the net, you get points for games. You play if you play less games. Obviously, that's going to hurt them, you know. So we'll see. Uh, I have a feeling that the basketball selection committee is not going to do the right thing, um, not just with regards to Carolina, but with a lot of these teams. Uh, and you're going to see really kind of a poop show when it gets announced. I wouldn't want to be on that committee because of everything you're going to have to weigh. But um, I just don't think they're going to use any common sense because it is the NCAA. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. So we have mailbag questions today, which are my favorite things. I love the mailbag questions. Pulling that up on the, the old internet here. Hopefully that works. By the way, Go to Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. I would really appreciate it if you did. <laughs> All right. First one comes in from Joe. And he's like, emailing you for the first time since during the season. Thank you, Joe. Just want to say a few things and hear your thoughts. Number one, who cares if you say you know? 
<laughs> Anyone who's complaining about that needs to stop. You put out the best Gamecock content, bottom line. The nitpicking types are probably closer to Clemson fans. Sounds like something they would say. Well, I, you know, there we go. You know, I, I, I probably shouldn't have tried to catch myself with it. And a poster on the message board said it. He was joking around. He listens to the podcast, and I don't mind. But you, you can ask guys like Mike Morgan. And, and if you go to broadcast, I didn't go to broadcasting school. I was a double major in theater and journalism. So I took a couple of broadcast classes, but I never really, you know, and, and voice and diction and, and things like that that you need for the, the stage or the, the the screen or, you know, the acting part of it. But I, I never got trained in broadcast. Okay. So um, if you are a, uh, you know, trained broadcaster, then, so, uh, you know, I should not say – I mean, it, it's a habit that I, I should not d- divulge in, but I think it needs to be subconscious and not conscious. So how, do, how does that sound about the the you knows? And, and honestly, I, I just tripped myself up with it yesterday, and that, that, that sounds worse than saying, you know. Uh, number two from Joe, I feel good about where our program is headed with Shane Beamer. But then again, I reset my expectations every single Saturday during the season, regardless of how we've been playing, so I'm partial. Do you think we are moving in the direction of relevance again if Beamer delivers on his words like Muschamp never could? Yeah, I, yeah I'm quit comparing Beamer to Muschamp. Uh, you know, people didn't compare Lou Holtz when he said he's going to win a national championship to Spurrier. Uh, and, and, and those were both Hall of Fame coaches, obviously, but they're both different guys. And I think the, the different, there's big differences uh, with all coaches. And um, I believe that, uh, you know, it's uh, a situation where you need to give this guy a chance. And he hasn't come in promising a bunch of stuff. He wants to make the program good, great, get it back to where it was. Talked about going to Atlanta and finishing the job. So, I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, to answer your question, yes, South Carolina is moving in the direction of relevance because I, I think that you have to – the relevance comes when you win and you're successful, okay? Uh, or you win recruiting battles. Uh, I think that some of the off-field hires they've made in today's age in social media, um, you, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you probably didn't, didn't need this. If somebody thought about it, it would have been a great recruiting tool. But, you know, you need – players uh, tuning in for the latest Derek Moore video or the latest Luke Day, you know, tip or the latest workout quick quick clip on Twitter. Um, Clemson has always done a great job of this. And South Carolina uh, with Justin King and his group and now some guys that, uh, you know, you can feature and really get out there um, other than just individual players who sometimes don't play well as a team. <laughs> To be honest, uh, I think that's going to resonate. And then can you imagine coming on, you know, that, that's going to draw people. That's not going to – okay, people get it confused. They're like, well, you know, you said this would help recruiting and they hadn't signed anybody. You know, like like the building that no recruit's been able to visit for almost a year because of COVID, uh, that had just opened. Uh, oh, it's a waste of money. I don't, I don't see how it's helping recruit at all. Well – First of all, no recruits been able to step foot in there for a year, okay? So you got three months worth of action out of it, basically, all right? That sucks. 
and then you know you got a new staff right now uh, and all that so these bells and whistles are not things that land recruits recruiting is the bottom line of recruiting and you whittle it down and and you get as close as you can to a definition of what are recruiting decisions based on and you got to encompass everything including some things that nobody talks about in public you know personal things with players or other things that people kind of wink, wink, nod, nod about. You got to figure all that out and put it into one stew and stew it up and come out with something that's, you know, sort of uh, standard. And as best as my mind can work, and it is a good mind when it comes to stuff like this, recruiting is based on comfort level. What is comfort level? It's a comfort level that a player and his parents and whoever else gets to, and it's normally the player himself with a situation. How comfortable are you? Now, what your parents think can make you comfortable or uncomfortable. Winning and losing can make you comfortable or uncomfortable. You know, a relationships with coaches can make you comfortable or uncomfortable. Academics can make you comfortable or uncomfortable, depending on what you're looking for. But the bottom line is, how comfortable are you? Those things we don't talk about can make you comfortable or uncomfortable. But the bottom line is, I have never seen a recruit at the end of the day, even when mom and dad don't want him to go, pick a school he wasn't comfortable with. Now, do things become uncomfortable when you get there? Absolutely. Because all of a sudden, you got to go to class, you got to go to workouts, you got to put on the pads. Everybody's just as big and strong and fast as you were in high school. That can make you uncomfortable really quick, but the comfort level uh, is the bottom line. Whoever has the best comfort level with the players getting the player. Those are facilitated by all those things I mentioned and probably most importantly, relationships with coaches because trust facilitates comfort level more than anything. And trust takes a while to develop. And so that's, that's what the assistant coaches do. They develop that, that trust and that bond. Uh, and so None of this, the Derek Moore video or the Luke Day videos or anything out there, that, that's an advertisement, okay? That, that is a, a catchy advertisement to get players in, to visit your campus, uh, to open up their DMs or their text or answer the phone for your coaches. Uh, and then once they start coming to campus and kind of see what you're all about, then, then the comfort level starts to build. That's what's screwing Carolina. Because when you're just out there on Zoom, a team has more in the trophy case, that's all these players are looking at. It's a surface-level decision. And on the surface, you you can't stack up. Can't stack up. So as soon as COVID's over and players can start getting on campus, and, and I say over, but I mean as soon as people get vaccinated, there's restrictions lift and all that good stuff. Uh, I think, I think recruiting is going to be something everybody's happy with, and I think that, you know, as far as the right direction goes, Derek Moore and Luke Day and Eric Kimry and Des Kitchings and Justin Stepp and Marcus Satterfield and all these coaches they've hired and Shane Beamer himself, uh, they're all going to be big when it comes to that. All going to be really big. Uh, when it comes to building those relationships. So, yes, 
I think uh, Beamer's got things heading in the right direction towards relevance. And who starts at running back next year is Joe's third question, Harris or Lloyd. I think even if Lloyd plays better over the summer and spring, unless it's just a no-brainer, which I don't think it will be, I think you got to start Harris because, you know, he was a 1,200 leading rusher in the SEC last year. Uh, You know, it it may be that he takes the first snap and then Lloyd comes in or the first series and then Lloyd comes in. I don't think you're going to see a rotation like you saw this year where it was basically 70% Harris, 30%, 25% Fenwick, 5% other. I think it's going to be closer to like 52-48 if there is anybody with more carries. And I think some some games you're going to see Lloyd – with higher stats in some games you'll see Harris, but look, man, you need two and more. You actually need more than two because, you know, sometimes guys get hurt, you know? So I, I think that's the deal with that. Joe uh, also adds, thanks for all you do. I will only be able to listen for another month before I deploy until October. I hope to come back to a non COVID society, Joe. Uh, certainly uh, thank you for your service uh, a lot. Uh, bless you, bless this country, and I agree with you, buddy. I hope you do come back to that non-COVID society. I think uh, I think we all are ready for that. But thank you for your service, and uh, everybody, say a prayer for Joe um, when you uh, when you think about our men and women in uniform. Thank you so much, Doctor Rob. JC, thanks for all you do. I look forward to each day of the podcast on the ride home, and this one may not quite get to your ride home. Dr. Rob, because I know uh, it's 3.30 right now as I'm recording this, but possibly, you know, you can do it on on the uh, ride in tomorrow. Uh, I'm really excited about the staff and feel like overall the staff is an upgrade from a development and coaching standpoint. Yeah, you know, I, I think as far as coaching goes and, 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 you know, development is a word that it just depends, like unit development, I guess. You're talking about defensive backs, wide receivers, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Individual development, I think the former staff was good at that. Uh, I think many times the Gamecocks uh, football program was was sort of like a NFL – I don't want to say training camp because that's where the teams go to get ready for the season, but an NFL preparatory school and, and all that. Because certainly you can't argue with the guys that have gone to the league that Muschamp produced that have played well. Uh, all f- <laughs> two of the worst teams record-wise in the past 20 years at South Carolina. Um, okay, so he goes through. He's like, could you break down, in your opinion, the hires at each position? Upgrade, downgrade, or push? This is hard to do in a lot of ways because some of these are you know, put me in a bad spot. One of them puts me in a bad spot. Kimry versus Bentley. You know, very high on both of those guys, know them both. Uh, never have any much to say bad about either one. Uh, but I'll go O-line, Atkins versus Wolford. I talked about this earlier. Uh, my my well, From what I hear, Atkins is going to be a guy that maybe gets a little bit more out of the unit and the players, you know, as far as coaching him up on game day. Wolford's probably the better evaluator. Uh, I'd say push on that one just because – uh, that's, uh, you know, you, it's hard to find a lot wrong with the way Wolf was doing it, and it's hard to find a lot wrong with how Atkins does it. So uh, wide receiver step versus Cox, nothing against Joe Cox. I think this is a no-brainer. Uh, Justin Steps, one of the best wide receivers coaches in the country. I was just looking at his recruiting at Arkansas. 
Keep in mind, this is one of the worst periods of Arkansas Razorback football in history. In history. Okay. History. <laughs> and uh, you look through and it's like, man, you know, this guy signed, what, half a freaking uh, hitting Florida hard, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys, you know, four stars or higher. Um. Most of them were wide receivers, but, you know, you get the picture. I mean, that, that, that's not easy to do. You had one guy, Burks, from in-state out of Arkansas, and the rest were from Florida, Texas, and Tennessee. So, yeah, Justin Stepp, pretty solid recruiter, stud recruiter. Um, so you got to do upgrade there. I mean, that's just kind of a no-brainer. Kimry versus Bentley. You know, Bobby's got a longer track record, and Bobby recruited really, really well at South Carolina. So, you know, you, you'd probably give the edge to, to Bobby, you know, just looking at it. But uh, I like Kimry as well and think he brings some needed uh, philosophy. I, I wish there was there would have been room for both of those guys on the staff because I, I, I think they both have tremendous amounts of value. If there's one guy uh, that Beamer – did not retain or uh, all that, that that I would stand on the table for. It would would definitely be Bobby Bentley. And you look at all the players he brought in uh, as a first-time on-the-road recruiter. uh, You you hear the players talk about him, et cetera. I mean, he he was outstanding, still a great offensive mind, all that. Um, And Eric Henry, you know, has loads of my respect. I mean, there's this, like – uh, you know, not too many people on this earth or in this business, in the coaching business that I have more respect for than Eric Kimry and Bobby Bentley. So that's a tough one. But, you know, resume wise, you got to give it to Bentley. But I don't I certainly don't think Carolina screwed there. Defensive line, uh, Lindsay versus Rocker. Same thing. You know, you, you take Rocker's resume. I think Jimmy Lindsay, though, is a young, hungry, up and coming coach from the Carolinas that's gotten a dream opportunity. Um, and I think he'll work extra hard uh, to do it. So, uh, again, uh, advantage to Rocker on that, but uh, Jimmy Lindsey makes a lot of sense. Uh, Clayton White versus Rodriguez Wilson, just because White's sort of the – or he is the defensive coordinator, what he brings to the table. He hadn't coached linebackers a whole lot. You know, Rod has, but I'll give it to to Clayton White just because his resume uh, coming in. Again, Rod Wilson – uh, is a guy that's got a bright future in coaching. Uh, you couldn't keep everybody here, you know. Defensive back, Torian Gray versus Travaris Robinson and Kyle Krantz. I, You know, I, both of these guys, even if they weren't at South Carolina ever, let's say Gray was still at Virginia Tech or Florida, Robinson was still at, you know, Auburn or, or Florida. Let's say Florida and Virginia Tech, right? T-Rob's at Florida still. Torian Gray's at Virginia Tech. I, I'm still taking Torian Gray because I think Torian Gray, when you look at his 10 years at Virginia Tech, how he would identify prospects and develop them, that's exactly the blueprint in the secondary for South Carolina that, that has worked and, and, and has a ton of DBs in the NFL, uh, the, the Gamecocks. I mean, you know, you look at the players the Gamecocks have um, put in the NFL, a DB, and, you know, not all of them are four- or five-star guys. You know, you look back, Fenton, three-star guy. Nixon, low four-star Juco. 
Uh, this is just in recent years. DJ Swearinger, three-star guy. Um, you know, Stephon Gilmore was a four, should have been a five. Antonio Allen was a three. Chris Culliver was a five at receiver by rivals, a four by composite. Um, you look through, Captain Munderland was a low three, high two. Stoney Woodson was a two. Going, taking you back now. Uh, you can go all the way back to Jonathan Joseph, who's still in the league. It was a three-star Juco. Um, and then Coe Simpson. Uh, and then Sheldon Brown and Andre Goodman. You know, those guys weren't top, top guys. Fred Bennett was uh, to a certain extent. Um, he, uh, he was a four-star guy. But uh, Dante Robinson wasn't. DeAndre Allen wasn't. Uh, you know, you kind of just go way back here. Willie Offord was a three-star guy. Arturo Freeman, highly regarded guy. You know, you keep going back and it's like, wow, you know. <laughs> uh, that's kind of Carolina, you know. Carolina, the more with less thing. And you look at Torian Gray and his career and, and – the, the, a lot of guys at Virginia Tech that weren't highly regarded that ended up in the NFL. So I would take Gray over Robinson and Krantz, even if none of the South Carolina stuff had happened. And that's just my personal preference. And, again, kind of what uh, what I think the program needs. Noah says, J.C., sorry about the empty mailbag last time. Thank you, Noah. And Noah chimed in immediately with a uh, outstanding email here. Uh, he said, can you break down the transfers from the transfer portal? Yeah, it, you know, there's, there's you know again. Um, what do you think? Uh, he said, which defensive transfer do you think would have the biggest impact in year one? That's tough. Um, I'm going to say Debo Williams and Jordan Strong because obviously Carolina needs more linebackers to get in there and compete. You hope. Last I heard about Muhammad Kaba. Uh, and this was toward the end of last year. He had a long way to go uh, as far as getting ready to go. And then that's linebacker. Sometimes it takes a year or two to develop. But, you know, this Debo, Daryl Debo Williams, a kid from Delaware, he, he will hit you. Now, once he gets in practice, is he going to be able to read keys and not take false steps and be fundamentally sound and all that? You know, that's something you have to work on, and that's going to determine whether or not he plays. So he – and Jordan Strawn, the older player that they got outside linebacker, the pass rusher, 10 and a half sacks last year at Georgia State. I think that, uh, you know, in, in packages, people go, people people think, well, you got Aaron Sterling coming back. You got JJ and Igbari coming back. You've got uh, Jordan Birch, who's ready to, you know, get after it. What's another pass rusher? Well, th- this is a guy that you can move around, you know. Line him up at uh, linebacker in space. Line him up with his hand on the ground, fourth down packages, things like that. And he's very gifted at doing that. So I, I think he makes the the, the he and and Williams are my two guys that make an impact. Now, what if Jakeem Green comes in, and you know the, the situation at Nebraska was just that, just a situation, and he's really as the player we saw on film, because on film, you, you look at him, he's got good get off. He's got hand violence. He's got feet. He's got size. He's got strength. Maybe he's comes into his own. Now that he's close to home. So that, you know, if he starts at D tackle next to Zach Pickens, all of a sudden you've got, <laughs> as you're starting D line, hypothetically. Now you got JJ and Igbari, all SEC, one of the top sackers in the SEC. 
got Zach Pickens, who's a five-star guy. You got Jakeem Green, who was a four-star JUCO and whose film looked five-star quality. Uh, and then you got Jordan Birch, another five-star DN. And then in certain packages, you're going to have one of the nation's sack leaders in Jordan Strawn coming off the edge. And then in another package, you'll have Aaron Sterling, uh, who is an outstanding pass rusher as well. That, that's some pretty good chops. So Green, if he beats out Jabari Ellis and Rick Sandage on the inside, you know, that could be a sleeper. The other guy on defense, David Spalding, uh, and, and really with Spalding and Williams, you guys have to look at them like freshmen, like, like they were coming from high school because they both have five to play five. I mean, they both have – because everybody got the red shirt last year. You know, it's almost like – they're almost like prep school kids. Um, and you almost have to look at them that way. I, I think Spalding, hey, if he gets in the rotation next year, great. It's a big hit. But he's an upside guy because of his height and length and speed coming from Georgia Southern. So, hope that answered your question, my friend. Uh, and I appreciate you, Noah, getting in with that uh, with the deal there. One more coming from Cartwright. Hey, JC, I know I haven't written in a while. Didn't stop listening, just didn't have questions. Been glued to any news on the Gamecocks I can get my hands on. With the transfer portal filling up with Tennessee guys, do you think there's any chance we get any of them? I know a few of those guys were previous commits to South Carolina at one point. I know he created some drama last year at Tennessee, but that kid Henry Toto is a dude. He needs to go back to the West Coast, by the way. Never made sense for him to go to Tennessee. Um, and I think he'll make Southern Cal or Oregon or somebody very happy. I know he would really have to want to come to South Carolina. It seems like Beamer is taking the strategy of only taking players that really want it. Well, they hadn't turned down anybody that was lukewarm. I mean, they're still trying to recruit. But, yeah, I think I think, I think, I think with Beamer, that's more coaches, though, the players that want to be there. And then the current guys, if they want to leave, that's fine. Uh, he said, I think it's smart and fascinating to watch, especially with reports. It seems like when everybody thinks he will turn left, he turns right. Ha, ha, ha. That's true on Beamer. Uh, and, and that's good. It's good to keep him guessing. As far as the Tennessee kids, like, okay, so if I were Carolina and Quaveras Crouch wanted to come back, and he's from Charlotte, I would consider taking him at linebacker, but I would also make sure that I liked him better than Joko Willis if I could not – fit both of them in the class. Um, Now, Crouch was a five-star prospect. Is Crouch a five-star lineman? No. I I think so far during his career at Tennessee, he's played about at a three-star level, just to be honest. Um, You know, people can say he's better than anybody Carolina has. I I don't know that. Not at linebacker. I don't know. I think the kid should have stayed at running back. I think he got some bad advice. Henry Toto is a dude. He's going back to the West Coast, though. <laughs> uh, he, he's a good player, though. I mean, like some five stars you look at, and it's like, yeah, you know, but that that dude at linebacker, he he's a dude. And he's good, like I said, he's gonna make Oregon or Southern Cal very happy, I think. Or maybe like an Oklahoma. I could see him going there too. Um, you know, Eric Gray, the running back, would be the one I would, you know, just from a character standpoint and you know, knowing about him during the recruiting process. You know, South Carolina was number two on his list. Uh, the Gamecocks had a great shot at getting him. I think maybe we're 
you know, I don't know if there's a reason <laughs> there. There's one of those things. We don't talk about reasons why he didn't, but he was an in-state Tennessee kid. So um, from West Tennessee, but Tennessee kid. So, so who knows? Uh, but character wise, that would be the one I would think would be a fit, but are you going to use a spot on a running back? I mean, you got three pretty good ones right now. Caleb McDowell coming in. I don't know. That'd be interesting, you know, because if if things go as planned with Harris and Lloyd, you know, where Eric Gray's carry is going to come from. And you don't want him coming and getting disgruntled and all that. So that's the thing. I can't see Carolina like, okay, so Crouch, like I said, as far as you're looking at the the realistic matrix here, kind of like similar to the hot crazy matrix. I had a friend of mine, by the way, for those of you that don't know what the hot crazy matrix is, uh, a friend of mine the other day told me that he he uh, he thinks that should be a book in the Bible. <laughs> and uh, those of you that are familiar with that will get that. But um, you know, like the realistic versus need matrix. Let's let's call it that, Cartwright. Um, you know, I would think Gray and Crouch would be the two, and. Uh, of those two, Gray showed Carolina a whole lot more love during recruiting than Crouch. Crouch visited early, but Carolina faded big time with him. It was down to Clemson and Tennessee, and he had all these people in his ear about playing linebacker or whatever. Probably should have played running back then. You want to get right down to it? A kid should have played running back. I think people were stupid that told him not to play linebacker. Now, Maybe he goes and plays a linebacker and plays in the NFL 20 years, and I look like a moron for saying that. But just looking at him on tape, I mean, he's a average to above average SEC linebacker. But at, at running back, the kid was special because of his size and speed and instincts. So we'll see kind of what happens. Thanks, Cartwright, for your questions, and that's going to end today's show. I appreciate each and every one of you tuning in to the Inside the Gamecast podcast. I'm going to have a J.C. and Morgan – uh, pop here uh, this evening sometime, so that'll be good. Myself and Mike Morgan will count down all the latest headlines in college football and beyond and also have some fun jokes for you, like we always do. Keep those emails and, and, and Twitter messages rolling in. Again, inside the game, guys, at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Thanks for following the Instagram account at Inside the Gamecocks. And um, we'll holla at you later on the next episode. This is J.C. Sherbert signing off.